Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talking Logistics, where we have conversations with thought leaders and newsmakers in the supply chain logistics industry. It's my great pleasure to welcome today's program, Molly Bailey, who's VP International at Transplace. And today we're going to talk about navigating the wave of ocean shipping constraints. Now, trucking traditionally has gotten the lion's share of attention in the transportation industry, but all eyes on ocean shipping you know, today, especially on all those cargo ships that are anchored offshore, ready to be, uh, to be unloaded. Um, so how are companies navigating through this challenging environment, um, both in securing capacity and in controlling costs? And what should companies expect and do moving forward? Well, that's the main focus of today's conversation. And it's great to have Molly with us on the program to share her insights and advice on this topic. So Molly, welcome to the program. Thanks, Adrian. I'm excited to be here and appreciate the opportunity. So uh, Molly, uh, before we dive into the specifics here of what's happening in ocean transportation, and, and there's a lot, obviously, and I, I'm, this is something that's top of mind for a lot of supply chain logistics professionals right now. Um, I, your first time guest on Talking Logistics, I always like to kind of learn how people get, got involved in this industry to begin with. So why don't you briefly tell us a little bit about your career path, how and why you got involved with supply chain logistics, and what your current role and responsibilities are there at Transplace? Sure. So, so I'm so old. When I started looking for jobs, we looked in the newspaper. Remember those? Um, so I, uh, I was, uh, I'm originally from from Pittsburgh, and I got a job. I I wanted to do international. That's what my my undergraduate was in. And I saw this uh, job posting in the in the Post Gazette in Pittsburgh for an international software company. Well, it was a company called DXI, which later became Descartes. Um, but I started out working at DXI when they were taking all the paper tariffs of the ocean carriers and turning them into electronic format so that, you know, you didn't have these massive old huge paper tariffs that the carriers were flipping through to provide a rate from Houston to, to Rotterdam. Um, so that was my intro into the international logistics world. Um, worked at DXI a couple of years and then ended up going to a small freight air freight forwarder based at, at Washington Dulles Airport and then ended up at C.H. Robinson for 14 years prior to, to joining Transplace. So I've been at Transplace uh, eight and a half years. Um, I manage the international operations team. Uh, so, so our team, very similar to, I know Adrian, you know Transplace really well. Our focus is managed transportation. So we do that on the international side as well, focused on ocean air shipments in and out of, of North America. And, um, you know, we're a little bit, you know, we are a licensed freight forwarder ocean transportation intermediary on the on the international side and VOCC as well. Um, but a little bit different of a service offering than, say, some of the, the big freight forwarders that, that you see in the marketplace. Um, so, so my job is just making sure that we're meeting our customers' needs and expectations and delivering the best possible service we can. Great. Well, great, great career path there, you know, starting on the technology side, then, you know, the freight forwarding side and, and, your, and your current role there. And, and I must be as old as you because I, I just wrote last week on Talking Logistics how I still get the paper delivered to my house, you know, the physical <laughs> copy. So my, my morning routine is actually, you know, shuffling out to the driveway and picking up the the, the paper and, and reading it, you know, during breakfast. So uh, I'm still, I'm still old fashioned that way. Uh, we are, we are our parents, right? <laughs> exactly. It's like that commercial for that insurance company. I think it is, you know, we're, we're all turning into our parents, but, uh, uh, but yes, no, obviously. So right now you're in kind of a very, you know, volatile area, an area that, 
you know, has got the spotlight, not only for supply chain logistics professionals, but all the way up to the, you know, CEO and CFO of companies. So it's, it's certainly, you know, something that a lot of people are, are interested in. And again, it seems like every day there's a headline in the news about ocean shipping. So I know it's going to be hard to kind of summarize very briefly, but, but what is the current state of ocean shipping? And, and I guess the, the question as we head into Q4 and the holidays is, you know, will the holidays get affected? So I, I think for me, the current state is dysfunction junction, right? Like things are not, things are not working, working properly. Um, I certainly don't pin, you know, blame solely on the carriers. I think there's plenty to go around as far as, um, you know, the, the carriers didn't start this. Um, it, it's just, they, they reacted to the, to the lockdown and COVID and, you know, I think the whole market acted so unpredictably from that, that we just really haven't been able to get back to equilibrium. Um, the second answer to your question uh, is yes, absolutely. I, I can't imagine the holiday um, sales or, or inventories aren't going to be, um, they, they have to be impacted. I got to tell you, Adrian, I was in a Walgreens on um, Saturday and my mouth kind of dropped over when I walked in the door and I'm not going to uh, say, you know, which, which companies, but, you know, I always buy certain lotions and there was vast amounts of empty shelf space. And I was just in shock. I'm not, you, you know, you can kind of see that at places at supermarkets and, and the big box stores, but I, you know, Walgreens, when they can't, they can't stock, you know, lotions and, and, and uh, lip balm and things like that. That's, that's pretty profound, I think. So um, you know, it's just, uh, it, it, it's really crazy. It's, um, it's ongoing and, um, you know, the, the, the carriers are throwing all the capacity they can to try to continue to keep product moving from, uh, Asia primarily, but frankly, the transatlantic is just as screwed up and, and South America is, is not easy as well. So, so, you know, I, I think, if you want to get on a vessel, you can get on a vessel. It's the timing that's the issue, right? So, you know, you've either got to pay ridiculously high rates to, to, to try to ensure that your product gets loaded. But then there's this huge unknown of, okay, is the vessel going to sit off the coast for a couple of weeks, a couple of days, once it discharges, how long is it going to be buried in the stacks? And that's where I, I think there's so many different parts and pieces that people don't necessarily understand about the international supply chain. So, you know, you've got the, you know, the, the beginnings of the, of the shipment that start at origin and they're, you know, totally dependent upon trucking capacity in, in the countries where products beginning for an import, they're, they're, um, uh, you know, very much dependent upon equipment and chassis. And we've seen disruption throughout the, the globe in regards to, you know, you look at what's happening in Southeast Asia with the uh, extended shutdowns of, of Vietnamese manufacturers. And, you know, I've seen some carriers announce embargoes where they weren't going to call Vietnamese ports because they just simply either didn't want to deal with the congestion or didn't have enough equipment to even make it make, make sense. So, there are so many factors that go in and touches and handoffs that go into moving a product from point A to point B. You, you know, it's easy to blame the carriers because they're the ones probably making the most money out of all this right now. Um, but it, but there, to me, there, there's, you know, th this has just really demonstrated the fragility of the overall global supply chain in my mind. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think, you know, when, when I think about it, I, I tend to think about, you know, when you, you look at, you know, a Swiss watch, you know, wristwatch, and you look at, you know, you take it apart and you see all those interconnected gears, right? And I think that makes mm -hmm. you appreciate how the supply chain really is all of these gears. And any if any one of those gears, you know, uh, is chipped or uh, gets damaged in some ways, it really affects the way the whole mechanism, you know, will work. And the problem we have here, it's not just one gear, right? It's not like you say, it's not such, it's not an ocean carrier, uh, you know, problem or, or only, you know, something that they're responsible for. You know, it's really all these interconnected pieces from the point of origin all the way to destination because, you know, you can get it here, you can get unloaded on Long Beach, but then you don't know how long it's going to sit there or how long you can get a truck inside to come and retrieve it and so forth. Mm -hmm. And and so I think it's it, it really is this whole end-to-end -end, uh, system you know, challenges that, that are, that are happening. And you're right. I mean, I've seen, I can't tell you how many times I've seen, whether it's at supermarkets or even restaurants, you know, with signs out saying, you know, we apologize for either not being able to open or having limited items available because of, you know, supply, supply chain issues. Right. So it's become kind of the new, um, you know, excuse, if you will, or the reason code <laughs> as to why things aren't operating as normal. It's, you know, hey, our supply chain is broken and we're not able to provide the level of service or the, the products that you're expecting. Um, and we really don't know when we can you know, get, get back to normal. So I think that's the, the big question mark. Um, so, so, you know, so, so that's the issue. I mean, so what actions are your, your customers you know, taking you know, in, in response to this to try to you know, navigate through this? And, and how are you, you know, and, and you know, logistics service providers like you, I mean, how are you helping clients navigate you know, through some barriers, especially in, in finding capacity, like you said. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and and to, to be quite, you know, candid, our, our international um, NVOCC business is relatively small. You know, we're, we're not one of the top 20 players in, in the TPE's bound. Um, so, you know, we're, we're seeing all kinds of creativity. I mean, uh, you know, I, 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 you were at our symposium recent, recently in, uh, in Florida, I was talking to a customer that's using the Trans-Siberian Railroad to move product from Asia through Europe and then put it on a boat and sail to the East Coast. Um, that's probably the most creative. And honestly, when he shared the pricing with me, I was like, that's pretty good compared to, you know, some of the ocean freight pricing. And he said it's working really well. So um, so kudos to, you know, to, to that level of, of creativity to, to be willing to do that. And, and it's working and running. Um, I think the other, you know, you, you, people always talk about the four point, um, you know, import uh, uh, solution where, you know, you take advantage of Canadian ports, U.S. West Coast, Gulf, U.S. East Coast. Um, so, so lots of customers that, you know, abandon L.A. Early, early on because they could just see the congestion building and it wasn't going to be recoverable. So I think the challenge now is that, you know, we've always seen efficiency in the Southeast with the ports of, of Savannah and Charleston, and now even they're struggling, you know, and, and, and part of it is just, I think, too, the lack of, of dray capacity where you've got just volumes and volumes of import containers that keep discharging, and there's simply not enough truckers to, to you know, even if it's just a local couple mile move to a cross dock facility, um, you know, it's it's still you know as 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 the congestion builds, it's less efficient in turn times to get those those uh, those boxes in and out of the 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 ports, 
And, and then, you know, that just builds a waiting time on truckers. They run out of hours and it's Groundhog Day over and over again. Um, you know, we have seen, um, I'm here in Texas. I think the Port of Houston's done a good job of, of keeping up with volumes, but they're, you know, they're not getting hit with the type of volumes that the West Coast and, and New York and, and the Eastern ports are, are getting hit with. Um, seen a lot of people shift to air freight. Um, that's certainly no bargain and air freight has its own challenges. You know, we've seen disastrous uh, warehouse situations in Chicago specifically where, you know, those uh, handling agents just simply can't, can't deal with the, the volume and they're also suffering from ma major labor challenges as well. Um, and then, you know, I think the, you know, the, the truly nuclear option is uh, chartering a vessel. So, so certainly have had certain customers um, chartering vessels or doing, you know, a, a part share with another customer. Um, so I, I think, you know, everyone is open for any options um, and, and, you know, you know, things that probably, 18 months ago, people would have been like, are you nuts? Now it's like, sure, I'll try it. That sounds great. Um, so, so it's definitely opened the door to, to lots of, of creative uh, of options. From, from our side, being a capacity provider, we really relied on our agents at, at Origin to negotiate locally. Um, you know, the carriers have been pretty upfront that um, they have very much made strategic decisions internally that they were going to focus on their big BCOs, their big NBO partners. And so for the littler guys, you know, we kind of have, have, have been abandoned. And so um, we've really relied on our agents to help us out with capacity as needed. And they've done a terrific job. It's on the spot rate. It's it's premium, but it, it does get things moving. And so, um, and, and frankly, their pricing is, really in line with, with the market in general. So, um, so those are probably the, the most predominant things. I, I mean, lots of transloading, but you know, what, what used to be a pretty, um, standard type of, of, uh, you know, escalated service of bringing a box into, into a port and then, you know, flipping it into a truck, um, is super challenging because you just cannot necessarily find warehouse space, especially in Southern California. It's, it's incredibly difficult. Um, so we have done some translate projects for, for customers. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's very anxious and stressful because, you know, you mentioned it, containers get discharged in LA and, and, and Long Beach and get buried. And so you just, you know, you never know when those are going to become available and then they get to the warehouse and then we've got a monitor to make sure the empties get returned. So they don't rack up, you know, ridiculous detention charges. So it's, it's a lot of touches. It's a lot of administrative work for, to keep these things moving. And, um, and, and, and it, 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 it's a lot to manage for sure. The, the team here has just done a phenomenal job in, in tolerating the, the, the conditions that we're all managing. Yeah, it almost, it almost sounds like, you know, well, first of all, I mean, I think, you know, you said it, I think, you know, the bottom line is you have to be creative, right? You, you know, the, the, the limited playbook that you might have had that made sense, you know, 18 mm -hmm. months ago or in the, in the past, you know, that playbook now is, is too limited or it's not going to get you, you know, what you need to do. You really have to expand that playbook and, and different strategies and, and, you know, and approaches. It sounds like, you know, even just talking about your relationship with your agents, you know, at, at overseas, you know, relationships, you know, we always talk about this industry being a relationship business, 
Uh, and I think it's at times like this that relationships, you know, matter the most, right? Because mm-hmm. it's it's really, you know, having that trust, that level of communication, um, you know, that partnership approach, I think is going to be, you know, critical moving forward. And, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, uh, you know, there are things you can control and I think that you can't control. And it's trying to find that, you know, that wiggle room in between those two things to try to keep moving forward with what you're trying to, to achieve, you know, um, you know, there's no getting around the cost factor here. I mean, obviously there's a lot of talk today about inflation and nowhere probably is it more evident than with ocean rates, which have surged this year. I mean, I have a neighbor who's in the uh, flooring business and he told me, you know, he used to pay something like three to $500 a container and he's up to $18,000 now. And his problem is that, you know, a lot of his orders when they were first negotiated, you know, they're, they're locked in. Like he can't go back to those customers and say, Hey, you know what? <laughs> My ocean rates have increased fivefold. Uh, and, you know, so I need to ask for more money. You know, he's basically going to be losing money on, on many of those orders. Um, how do you, how do you keep customers informed about rates for one? And, and are there any, you know, cost measures? I mean, how, how, are they working? I mean, what, what do you do in this environment? Yeah. So, um, you know, we were, so we, we take a very proactive approach to, to communicating with our customers so that they, they definitely understand total land to cost in regards to, in, in regards to transportation, you know, customs duties when things like like that pop up. Um, so we were very vocal, uh, you know, really in the, started in the fall that you, in, of 2020 that you started, you know, really so from July and August when we started seeing these lifting volumes increasing month over month. And, and then last fall, it, it got really, um, re- really busy. And we started to see, um, you know, a, a, a rate inflation kicking in. I think we had a bit of a respite in January and then Boom, it just kept taking off. Um, so, so just being very informative with our customers, you know, again, as an, as an NVOCC, we normally use negotiated rate agreements. I think in the past, um, you know, we've been able to, depending on the trade lane, we've been able to provide quarterly pricing. That's out the door right now, right? So, you know, we're, if we can provide monthly pricing, we will on certain lanes. But a lot of times we're just providing spot pricing for specific bookings. And, um, you know, I I remember, uh, you know, feedback from a customer probably a year ago saying this is ridiculous. This can't continue. And rates have grown threefold from what those levels were. Um, And then I was with a customer last week and and he was saying, you know, we've stood in front of our executives and said, hey, should we just should we stop? Like, are we going to keep paying these rates? And if you want your product to be able to sell, you, you, you know, you've got to keep that inventory flowing. So I, I've maybe had one customer so far that has scaled back volume kind, you know, they feel pretty good on their inventory levels. And so they're, and they got really aggressive in importing things um, uh, in 2020. And so I, I think they kind of uh, jumped the gun faster than some other companies. And so that put them in a better inventory position. So they're trying to really wait out the holiday season to see, you know, if, if once everything that gets in for, for retail and holidays, if, if we will start to see a, a slow, slower decline in pricing after say, you know, end of October, end of this month, because 
if you don't have your product, you know, bumping up into a port within the next couple of weeks, you're, you're going to miss the holiday season. Um, but I also think in general, and I, you know, my kids are older, so I, so I shouldn't, shouldn't speak, but I, I think too, as consumers, I, you know, I ordered patio furniture during, I was one of those people during the, during the lockdown, I'm looking out of my yard, I need better patio furniture, it took seven months, you know, was it frustrating? Of course, but I'm in supply chain, I totally understood it. Um, I think that people, you know, that want new Xboxes, that want the latest, greatest electronics, for the most part, if they, you know, order it on Amazon or they order it on Walmart and they say, okay, it's a seven, eight week lead time, people are pretty much accepting that at this point, you know? So I, I think for the bigger, more expensive electronic items, people just have prepared themselves that there are going to be waits. I think the, you know, the, the dangerous thing for the, for, for, you know, the retailers are the more lower cost items that people normally just buy off the shelf. And if that's not there, they're missing out on, you know, they're missing out on sales opportunities. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, it, it, it defies logic at times when I, cause I can, I can see, you know, the cost of goods of a product that's being imported. And when you're paying, you know, uh, uh, $20,000 for something that is, you know, the cost of the goods, it's $5,000. I, I don't understand how companies can continue to do it. Um, but, you know, it, it, for those that have said, okay, I, I can't pay above, say, a $15,000 cap on ocean freight, then you're really just going to have to wait it out. There, there is no other option at this point. So, um, you know, for the most part, we've just seen, you know, our, our customers and, and others we've spoken with continue to, to um, import on a regular basis. And and I think, you know, I, I know one of the other questions coming up is what I see in the future, and I don't want to speak to that yet, but this situation is not going to disappear. So, you know, I think, um, you know, for seasonal people that, you know, seasonal importers that normally historically bring in more in the spring, you know, in the past, they would not ship during peak season, didn't want to, you know, get hit with peak season sur surcharges, GRIs. Well, they're so intent on making sure they have enough inventory, they've continued to, to, to bring in product as, as it's become available by their manufacturers. You know, I you know, it's interesting as you were describing all these different scenarios and things that, that were happening. I mean, you know, you know, historically or classically, you know, supply chain executives would try to balance different cost factors, right? It was inventory carrying costs versus transportation costs versus labor costs. And you know, trying to find the, the right mix, right? And keeping, you know, inventories levels, you know, the, the economic order quantity, right? How much to order and, and and when to replenish. And a lot of those equations are really getting challenged here. Um, so it sounds like that customer or that client that you talked about that you know pulled in a lot of inventory early on and now has well, what they feel is sufficient inventory to wait out, you know, the storm, you know, you know, they incurred higher inventory holding costs, then again, interest rates are pretty low and, 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 and all that. Um, but it's taking up a lot of warehousing space. So you talked about the challenges with finding warehousing space. So everything has a, a ripple effect, right? So you bring in a lot of inventory, you have to store it somewhere. You, you're paying for that inventory to sit there, but that's taking up a lot of space that normally wouldn't be taking up. And, you know, hence you have this, uh, um, I think what we continue to see is a kind of this bullwhip effect, right? Cause I think a lot of the actions that companies are taking is, uh, you know, they're, they're either 
pulling in orders or they're holding off now, but then expect to order more later. And so everyone's getting out of their norm. And I think to your point, I think we're not getting out of this anytime soon because, you know, once things may get um, easier, if you will, on the capacity side, let's say, I think everyone's going to be then moving in the other, everyone's going to be moving in all different directions to get, try to get back to their own normal. And so there's going to take some time for all of that, you know, to work out. So I think you're going to see this compounding bull up effect across different industries, you know, for, for some time to come. Um, so, so you touched upon a little bit about this, um, you know, before, I mean, obviously, you know, in communication with, with the, you know, ocean carriers, I mean, what's been the relationship? I mean, how have they supported you this year? What, what are they communicating to you with regards to what's expected in 2022? Relationship? <laughs> so, um, you know, again, we're, we're a smaller NVO. So, so it's, I'm, I'm sure the, you know, the big, the big uh, guys are, are getting, uh, feeling the love from the carriers, but I'm not feeling it so much to be candid. I mean, it's, it's super frustrating, Adrian. I mean, you know, my team bangs their heads against the wall every day. Uh, uh, Hatbag Lloyd sent out an email last week saying, um, you know, they put in this, um, it was one email that all issues should get emailed to. And I think they said they had a queue of like 8,000 emails they hadn't answered. So, you know, I've got issues that I need answered that are in that queue. Um, and so, you know, there, there's obviously been a lot of focus on the crazy detention and demurrage that's getting assessed. A lot of this completely out of the hands of the shippers because, you know, they can't, you know, the trucker tries to get a, a, a container out, it's buried in the stacks, or they go to get the container out and there's not a chassis. Or door moves by the carriers that, to me, one of my questions is how can a carrier assess demurrage on, or, or uh, yes, demurrage on imports that came in that were their door move that it took them three weeks to get, you know, capacity on it. That just seems nuts to me. So, um, you know, I, I, I think the, I think what we're feeling in the community is the carriers are making phenomenal profits, right? I mean, they're, you know, the, 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 the profit, um, the, the revenues that carriers are seeing and were so unexpected and these constant, you know, updating of, of the, you know, the results of the next quarter. Hey, that's great. That, that's the fine demand. Happy for them that this has been a windfall. But I think what's disappointing is they, we haven't seen them investing in the customer relationship and support that's, that's needed in this really dysfunctional time. Another great example, I had a colleague on Friday, you know, it was one of those uh, Fridays where it's, you know, four o'clock and your head spinning because it's been such a crazy, crazy week. And she sent me the 44th update on a booking, 44th update on a booking. So, you know, it, that's hard for us to manage. That's hard for the carriers to manage. And, you know, I think the carriers, again, were probably, you know, not understanding what was happening last fall, how long this was going to last. And so they didn't immediately think, oh, gosh, we probably need to start staffing up for, you know, um, this, this ongoing volume, as well as just how much you know, all these rollings and splits and, and misses and delays, those, those are things that immediately cause human touches and people have to get in and interact and manage it and communicate. 
And it's extremely difficult right now trying to communicate with carriers. It's super frustrating. It's very difficult. I think in some ways it's, it's good for the third party community because it really highlights how much we do and how much we proactively act on, on behalf of our customers and, and, um, and lobby for them and make sure things get done because I do feel sorry for, you know, for, for the, for the BCOs that are working directly with the carriers, that's gotta be, gotta be incredibly challenging if you don't have an intermediary to, to support you. And then, you know, the carriers are now caught up in a situation where there's just not enough labor. So it's, you know, it's, it, you can't hire somebody off the street that was maybe a server at a restaurant to all of a sudden be answering questions in regards to, you know, what happened to an import container, what this is the status on a bill of lading that needs to be updated because it's incorrect. And there's a manifest piece count issue, you know, again, really tactical things, but all these tactical issues build up into this massive queue of problems. And, um, and so I, you know, I, I, I would love to, I, 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 you know, I, I feel sometimes like the carrier management and I'm probably going to get hate mail from the carrier community, um, but, but I feel like sometimes those, those, those people are not well, are not being, you're not hearing a ton from them right now, except for very, very, you know, I, I you know, I see Hapag Lloyd, CEO, you know, the, we'll do town halls and things like that. Um, but kind of the mid to senior level management staff, I, I don't think is out there so much having a lot of conversations with, with customers right now. Um, you know, maybe they're just a little, you know, gun shy and not sure what's going to come their way when they, when they make that call and make that visit. Yeah. You know, that's, that's some great insight. I mean, I think that, um, you know, it's funny because, you know, this industry, you know, we see it in ocean, certainly in transportation, right. It's, it's either feast or famine, right. Right. So right now it's, it's, you know, the carriers are feasting, right. It wasn't that long ago that they were all, you know, struggling, um, you know, that pendulum keeps moving back and forth. And, and unfortunately, I mean, you know, I, I think where the breakdowns are is what you just talked about. I think, you know, the, the, the customer relationship management piece is something that's controllable, right? So maybe they can control a lot of these things that are happening, the carriers um, per se, but I think it, w- it would, it would make everyone in the community uh, feel better if there was that level of, you know, support, communication, transparency, if you will, um, to keep everyone updated and informed in a more streamlined fashion. So, I mean, as you were talking and describing that, I, I equated to, you know, just like home delivery, right? Or having someone come to your house to, you know, a utility person to come to your house to fix something, whatever, you know, and they give you the, uh, you know, you just want to know that they're going to show up when they say they show up, right? But if they're not because of the hit traffic or whatever, you would appreciate a phone call to say, hey, we were supposed to be there at noon. It looks like it's going to be two o'clock now. Um, and, and that's okay because, you know, now I know I can go out for lunch or I can go and run some errands and, but it's the not knowing it's the silence. It's the, you know, the being in the vote in the dark that is, you know, make, makes a, a challenging situation even more challenging. And it sounds like, you know, that could be an area that, um, you know, if that, that's something that's certainly partly in their control. I mean, obviously you, you talked about labor shortages and getting people trained and knowledgeable about you know, uh, what they need to, to respond to customer inquiries about, but, um, but certainly that needs to be an area that needs to be, you know, focused on moving forward. Um, well, you know, Molly, as a way to wrap up and speaking of, of moving forward, and I, I know your crystal ball is probably, you know, it's certainly better than my crystal ball because you're in the, the front lines here, but 
Uh, it's, it's always difficult to predict the, uh, the future. I mean, what's your predict, prediction for ocean shipping in, in 2022 with regards to rates, capacity, and everything we've talked about today? I, um, I think, you know, we're, we're in this, this same type of market for at least the first six months of 2022. I do think that we will, I, and I could be off, and again, you know, a lot of people have talked about uh, Chinese New Year in 2022. Do rates hold until we're through that period? And then we start to see, see a slow decline in rates, at least through what's typically, you know, the off season, especially for imports on, on the Trans-Pacific eastbound. Um, so, so I think, you know, I, I don't think rates can go any higher. And I mean, you know, CMA kind of, you know, they, they, they admitted that as well and, and, and tra- tried to cap the, uh, the spot rate um, market as, as well. Um, so, so I think that rates will hold where, where they are for the most part. I think the discouraging thing is that, you know, the, the congestion and, and the, um, just the, you know, the imbalance in regards to, to markets and, and, and drivers and, and equipment and all of that is, is going to continue. And I, I, I honestly see that continuing for all of 22, even as rates start to come down, because it's just going to take a while. Um, You know, I, I think my hope out of all of this is that we start to recognize the handoffs that occur between the carriers, the port terminals, the the equipment, uh, you know, the chassis pools, the, the 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 driver community, the warehouses, those are all so interdependent. And um, and there are, you know, from a technology standpoint, there are black holes that you know that need to be filled. I think you know probably three to five years after this, we're probably going to see some pretty incredible technology solutions coming out of all of this. Is People are sitting at home, dreaming up ways to provide better visibility, provide more, more pro- proactive, predictive types of, uh, you know, analysis to say this is what's happening or this is what's coming. Because again, this, you know, when we went into lockdown, I don't, you know, I think we were all thinking that people were going to pull back, they weren't going to spend, they, you know, and, and the exact opposite happened. Um, so it's 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 painful, I think, for at least another nine months. And, and then um, hopefully things will, will start to return to, and I don't, I don't even think return is a good word. I think maybe just, um, you know, we're going to kind of morph or evolve into just a new normal. Um, because I, I don't think there's any, any going back to the, to the old days. I mean, the carriers have learned a lot. They learned, you know, they learned a lot from 2008 when, when uh, the housing market and the great recession. And, and so they have learned that they very much can react very quickly when they start to see market declines and pull capacity from one market to another. And so I think they'll, they'll continue to do that. I think it's, you know, what type of technology innovations can help keep up with those abrupt physical movements of cargo to ensure that the administrative piece and, and all those types of things continue to, to work more efficiently than what we've seen in the, in the past 18 months. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I think most people, I think the most optimistic uh, uh, view that I've seen is uh, kind of middle of next year, but I think, um, I, I think it's really going to take all of 2022 
Um, and that's assuming that we don't have, you know, <laughs> some unexpected things, you know, happening just because, right. you know, for everything that we've talked about, right, it's not just an ocean shipping piece. There's a lot of things that are surround this whole process that, uh, you know, need to heal themselves, if you will, to, to kind of get the, the, this, this Swiss watch that I talked about earlier, you know, running smoothly again, or as smoothly as, you know, as, as possible. And that's, that's going to take some time. You know, this, this goes back to, you know, back to my manufacturing days. It was always very easy or easier, I should say, easier to shut down equipment and shut down a production line than restarting it again, right? You can shut it down by a press of a button and shut down, you know, the line. But if you want to then restart it up quickly, it took a long time. And yeah. it's a similar type of environment. If you think about what happened with COVID and the pandemic, um, you know, everything got shut down pretty rapidly. Um, and then to your point, everyone expected that the demand side was also going to be depressed for a while, but the demand side picked up so quickly that then restarting everything again, uh, you know, obviously not every industry recovered quickly and, and so forth, but for those that did, it was very difficult for all, all this well-oiled machine to come back up to life. And, and we're still living through, through that. And it's probably going to take another year for it to work its way out. Well, Molly, we could, we could probably talk for, you know, we could probably whole, have a whole conference, you know, dedicated to ocean shipping. And, you know, you touched briefly upon air, but that's a whole other, you know, uh, interesting market as well with its own set of challenges. So maybe we'll, we'll talk about that in a, in a future episode. But again, thank you for making the time, uh, you know, taking the time out of your busy, you know, schedule, um, you know, in, in light of everything that's happening to, you know, be with us today. Thanks, Adrian. I enjoyed it. I want to thank those of you that joined us. Uh, if you're watching this episode on demand, either at the TransPlace uh, website or on Talking Logistics, and you've got a question or a comment from Molly, you can post it there. And I'm sure she'll be more than happy to respond via that medium. Again, thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you in a future episode of Talking Logistics. Have a great day.